my wife can't tell me anything at all about my relationships, you know, and I can't tell her anything at all about her relationships, you know, her relationships are her business and my relationships are mine. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hey, slutty scholars, just a reminder that I am part of an awesome podcast network called Pleasure Podcasts. We feature some of the top sex and relationship podcasts in the world. Are you a longtime listener? One of my first episodes, number 16, features the awesome Sunny Megatron. Here's a trailer from her podcast, American Sex. Check it out. Hey, I'm Sunny Megatron from American Sex, a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of fuck. Ooh, that's kind of a trashy first impression, isn't it? I'm so sorry. Okay. <clears throat> On American Sex, Ken Melvoinberg and I explore our guests' deepest, darkest sexual secrets, hang-ups, fantasies, and victories. Each episode reminds us that in this fine country of ours, no matter our differences, we all want and deserve the same things. Freedom and happiness and f- Find American Sex on iTunes, Stitcher, and most podcast services or at AmericanSexPodcast.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Kevin Patterson. Kevin is an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community. He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since August of 2002 after opening up a relationship that eventually became his marriage. In April of 2015, Kevin was inspired to start Poly Role Models, an interview series for people describing their experiences with polyamory. Poly Role Models was part of a drive and desire to change the way our lives and communities are viewed. To continue the discussion of polyamorous representation, Kevin has extended the blog's work into the writing of an awesome book, which I think everyone should read, called Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities. Along with co-writer Alana Phelan, uh, is that how you say that? Phelan? Alana Phelan. Alana Phelan. Thank you. Uh, Kevin launched a sci-fi novel series for hire that centers characters of color as well as other marginalized identities. Beginning in 2020, Kevin has worked with the awesome Dr. Liz Powell to create the Unfuck Your Polyamory educational series, including lessons for both individual users as well as service providers. Unfuck is designed to help people navigate the world of consensual non-monogamy while avoiding a lot of the common mistakes. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Okay, so I'm starting out this season by asking folks about the best sex and or most pleasurable thing they've done lately. So it doesn't have to be overtly sexual. It could be like, I took a really great bath or I had a really good burger. Anything that was pleasurable, it can be sex, of course, as uh, as detailed as you'd like it to be or as undetailed. So let's start it off with what's a pleasurable thing that you got into lately? 
Um, this is gonna be weird. No, there's uh, no weird on here, but I'm so excited to hear what this is. Um, I, I, and I'm gonna say it the way that I always tell people: I've discovered time travel. Say more. Now, what I've been doing, um, like I've got a two TV set up in my basement. Like I, you know, I so I can watch movies on one TV and play video games on the other. Um, while high, I accidentally ended up having the same thing playing on both TVs, but about five seconds apart. Ooh. And it puts me in this really weird space where like I'm watching this show and the characters know, but don't know, like, you know, like they're, they're having a conversation that they don't know is about to be abruptly interrupted by, you know, by a car accident or like, he's going to die, but not die at the same time. And, um, it's, it's me being a ridiculous stoner, uh, but it's, <laughs> but it feels weird and disorienting and magical all at the same time. So that's been my pleasurable thing that I've been doing. Oh, I love this. I can tell that you obviously like sci-fi and there are a lot of nerds that listen to this podcast. So I am sure somebody is going to love this. Yeah. Like I've been doing it. I, I've been doing it with episodes of Andor and with, um, Ooh. Everywhere, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, that's like very Inception with everything, everywhere, all at once because it's oh, yeah. so. That's just I love that movie. Yeah, same here. I wonder if there's a way we could do this with like, or have you done it with like erotic content? Ooh, I haven't yet, but you just gave me ideas. Well, next time you come on the podcast, I would love an update. Word. <laughs> Um, beautiful, lovely. Thank you for sharing. Okay, so I would love to hear everyone's got their own definition. How do you define polyamory? I've talked about non-monogamy on the podcast before, but what's your working definition of polyamory at this moment? I go with the really standard, the really standard definition of, you know, the ability to, the desire to, the behavior of uh the relationship state of being in multiple loving and or sexual relationships with the knowledge, respect, check-in, consent of everyone involved. Mm, I like the the last part is key. Um I noticed that I often like start out conversations about non-monogamy, at least on this podcast, with topics relating to like what's hard, what are the pitfalls, what are ways we can yeah. do better. Um, but I kind of, I want to get into that, but I want to start today by maybe highlighting some of the stories of hope and of growth and of success, because there's yeah. such a stigma that it's like, oh, it's, you know, not as good as monogamy and all that, which is just, you know, not accurate. So yeah. I'd love to hear anything you'd like to share about any like recent wins or successes or just like relational excitement about your current poly life um this past uh oh this october i ended up uh officiating a wedding for the first time um it was uh, the wedding of my my joyfriend and and their their husband their then fiance boyfriend but yeah like oh wait you said uh joyfriend can you describe joyfriend uh as in my my non my non-binary partner cool okay yeah at some point we all sort of called it we all sort of knew that that like uh, that a marriage was going to happen there you know even though like that wasn't really their plan but like at some point we knew that this was going to happen and like um i think it might have been like mid orgy mid drug fueled orgy where they were just like hey um we've actually decided we are getting married and we'd like you to officiate that so 
I I have already gotten um ordained online um for for a, another wedding that didn't happen because of uh the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So like I just made sure my paperwork was up to date. I got myself a nice rainbow stole and I officiated a wedding and uh it was pretty fantastic and like my partner had a great time, looked fantastic in this red dress and had like all of their partners there as well. Mm. Um, my wife, you know, my wife and my, and my girlfriend were there as well. It was, it was such a good day. It was really, it was really well done. Mm. I bet you were awesome at it. And it's interesting because I definitely am aware of weddings that happen where I know the couple is non-monogamous, but their wedding is not openly non-monogamous. So yeah. I'm hearing that this one was, you know, non-monogamous partnership, but that all the other partners were there and invited. How was that? It was, it was aggressively non-monogamous. <laughs> um, like my 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 joy friend made it a point to dance with like all of their partners at some point during the during the reception and everything. Um, everyone was everyone was well aware of what was going on. Like like I said, my my wife and my kids, my girlfriend was there. Yeah. Um, a shared partner between my joy friend and, and myself, like was, was there as a, you know, as a, uh, as a flower fay, you know, putting fa- f- like flower, you know, like sprinkling flowers everywhere. It was definitely a big polycule affair. Mm. And for folks yeah. who don't know what a polycule is, can you describe polycule? Um, like your extended network of polyamorous people. So like, it wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't just them. It was like, you know, my partners and their partners and so on and so forth. Yeah. What are yeah. your feelings about uh, marriages in polyamory? So for folks listening, if you are new in this conversation, new to this podcast, I'll include a list of uh, older episodes in here where I talk about kind of some of the more basics of non-monogamy yeah. uh, and things like that. But just as a little refresher, um, some non-monogamous relationships are what's called hierarchical, where there is maybe a core or anchor partner or a certain kind of partner, um, and some are non-hierarchical. What are your thoughts and feelings about marriages when it comes to polyamory um i'm i'm i mean i'm i'm also a married guy so like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm okay with marriages um i'm less okay with the idea that that one relationship can supersede another like Mm -hmm. you know i'm 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 a married guy my wife uh my wife and i our lives are intertwined we own a house together we have kids together we have you know we have we've got to make insurance decisions together we've got to make you know child raising decisions together but my wife can't tell me anything at all about my relationships, you know, and I can't tell her anything at all about her relationships, you know, her relationships are her business and my relationships are mine. You know, if, if one of us feels impacted by a relationship with the other, like we can have that conversation, you know, but I can't, you know, like if, if I don't like one of my wife's partners, you know, I, I can make the, you know, I can say something about it. I can make a decision to, to not spend time around, uh, around that person. If I feel like they're impacting my, my wife negatively, I can raise that as an issue, but I can't go over to her and say like, Hey, knock it off with that person, you know, cut that person out of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some people feel like that's something you can do or something you should do. That's not something I feel comfortable about. My polyamory in particular is about respecting people's autonomy, you know? Mm, yeah. Oh, let's talk about that. So I, I've seen this a lot in my practice. Um, and I feel like it's come up a lot for me in the work that I do with clients is this balance between compassion and freedom or autonomy. 
Um, so I, I'm curious, I want to talk more about this. Like, how do we both hear and acknowledge our partner's triggers? And of course, this is your relationship, right? This is what you've established in your marriage. So every setup can be different and have different boundaries. But from what yeah. you're saying, it's like, how do we find this balance between hearing acknowledging, validating, and having compassion for our partner's triggers about somebody while also having this balance of freedom and autonomy. So I guess to give an example, let's say there is someone that you're like, I'm not comfortable with this person. This person that my partner is also dating is really triggering to me. They bring up a lot for me. Um, I'm not comfortable with them seeing this person. What are some things to consider? Like, what are some ways that you have navigated that in your specific setup? And how do we find this balance between not just being an asshole? Like, I don't care that it bugs you. I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah. I'm going to do it, but I love you. <laughs> I mean, the, um, the, the, the thing with the thing with non-monogamy is that communication is key. Um, communication, respectful communication, like, um, it's, it's, it solves like 90% of our problems, you know, uh, just being able to have a conversation within a non-accusatory tone and say like, Hey, these are what my concerns are. Like if, if, uh, if one of my partners really did have somebody in their life that I was like, you know what? I just can't be around this person. I can explain it. I can explain where I'm at, but I can't tell somebody what to do. And at some point I've got to make the decision on what I want to do with my, with myself. You know, mm -hmm. and I've got to hope that my partner is going to hear me and help facilitate that if I want to maintain the relationship where if I'm with somebody and I'm like, hey, I don't like that person. I don't want to be around them. And they're like, well, you know, you got to be around them if you want to be with me. I've got to make that decision for myself. Is um, is the juice worth the squeeze in that, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in that regard? Thankfully, mm -hmm. it's never really gotten to that place for me. Um I've never, like, I've never had such a problem with, uh, with my, with, with any of my other, uh, my partners or the people, but I have been in situations where like, uh, like I've got a partner who I used to associate with one of their exes a, uh, a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, look, if you want to, if you want to start seeing this person, you do what you want to do, but I don't want to be around them. I need you to give me a heads up so that I'm, you know, so that I know where the boundaries are. I know where they're at so that I can not be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and for me, interacting with somebody that's going to irk my partner to that extent isn't, is going to be a no go, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah. that's in this situation, you right. know, the next situation, it might be like someone who I'm really, really super interested in engaging with. And mm -hmm. if that's the case, then I'm going to help my partner. I'm going to help my partner make the decisions that work best for them in order to, for us to like maintain what we're doing without like, without triggering somebody. Yeah. Cause I, that would be a really hard thing, right? If you're like, Hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm also saying if you're with this person, it's going to make me feel this certain level of discomfort. Granted, ideally maybe you're going to do your own work to explore what, why it's bringing that stuff up for you. Um, but if yeah. you share that and your partner doesn't maybe change or, or take that to heart in some way, then like you said, you might have to be like, can I tolerate that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to make the, the thing about the thing about the communication part of it is that understanding and like also like the emotional literacy part of it is mm. understanding that it doesn't have to be heroes and villains, you know, mm. it can just be, it can just be right for you or wrong for you. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to demonize or, 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 or canonize somebody for that. You know, mm. sometimes, 
Sometimes the way that I move in relationships is no good for someone that I'm with. That doesn't make me wrong or them wrong. It's just, we're not compatible. You thank somebody for their time and you, you know, you part as amicably as you can. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. So for more like seasoned, maybe polyamorous or non-monogamous folks is how do we know when something is, I mean, this is a, if, I bet you get diff- 10 different answers if you ask 10 different people, but oh, yeah. how do we find the balance between knowing when something is so not aligned that we do need to step away versus like acknowledging that no two people are going to have exactly the same desires of how they want their relationship to look. So like, when do we know if it's uh when do you personally know for yourself if the juice is not worth the squeeze anymore versus if you're like, all right, I really want to find a way to make this work. We've got different desires. We have different um, styles of the way we want to be in a relationship. How do you find that balance? Um, for for me, it's it's really simply who is going to make me uh, who's going to make me feel this way, and mm. like this way can just be like stress free. Who who can I spend the most amount of stress free time around? Who mm-hmm. um, who do I feel is filling my soul at the moment? You know, mm-hmm. and then I've got to make the decision. Like is like sometimes you realize like you know what when i think about this relationship i tense up you know Mm -hmm. this is somebody that i love this is somebody that i care about but when i think Mm -hmm. about what it requires to be in this relationship i tense up Mm -hmm. and that's not what i want to feel like these things should these things i'm not going to say relationships should be easy but they shouldn't be like a consistent source of stress if it's going to be something that you want to like continually engage in Mm mm-hmm Yeah. And for clients of mine, I would say, you know, if you are wanting to be non-monogamous, polyamorous, any kind of openness, um, if you do really want that, but you do keep coming back up against these tension points, that to me is a good indicator that you got to do some additional work on yourself, that you got to figure out some better um, coping tools, some resources, some nervous system regulation, some self-work. Because it, you know, I guess it brings up this in the same vein of what we're talking about. Like, how do we be both compassionate to partners while also not being responsible for their feelings? Yeah. Um, something Dr. Liz says all the time, um, mm-hmm. that like boundaries are the, are, are the length between where you can love yourself and love someone else at the same time. Ooh, say more. That's good. Yeah. Like, if me if me setting up around a relationship allows them to be close to me, but I feel icky about it, then something needs to be adjusted. Maybe the boundaries need to be adjusted. Maybe the relationship entirely needs to be adjusted. Yeah. But like, I know that I've been in relationships before where I'm like, I like this person. I love this person. I like mm-hmm. this relationship we're in, but it's causing me a, an amount of stress that I'm uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. And every single time that I've been in that place, once the relationship was over, it's like, wait a minute, this yeah. the, this weight is completely off my shoulders. Mm. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't make me feel any you know less care towards the person that I'm with. But like, if the relationship is over and all of a sudden I feel like Relief. the weight lifted off of my shoulders, like, okay, well, that was a change that needed to be made, and that's something I'm gonna have to take note of for mm-hmm. future relationships. Yeah. Like one of the things that I love about non-monogamy in general, like I'm not so much comparing partners because I love I love the people who they are for being who they are. Mm-hmm. But there have been so many times where 
somebody will talk to me a certain way and I'll be like, you know what? I like that. I like the way this person asked this question or I like the way this person is regarding me. And now I realize why I was having such a problem with some other relationship where someone was regarding me in a way that made me less comfortable or made me less happy. Mm-hmm. And is that something that maybe you'd find yourself sharing with another partner in a respectful way or just being yeah. like, okay, that's what I'm going to look for now moving forward? Yeah. Like if, I mean, if you know who you're, you know who you're with, which is a thing I say all the time, you know, the kind of person you're with, you know what you're able to like, I had a party. But I think a, a lot of us like to put hope and pretend that uh that person might change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Slippery you gotta be about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I had a I had a partner who had like a, a mental breakdown some years ago. Mm-hmm. And they 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 reached out to me and they said, Hey Kev, my mental health is trash right now. This is what's going on with my therapy. This is what's going on with my meds. This is what's going on with my my state of mind, and this is how it's gonna impact our relationship. Yeah. And we had a we had a whole conversation about that. Yeah. And I felt better about the relationship after that conversation. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. I've been with people who were who whose mental health was also trash, who didn't have these conversations. Right. And it damaged our relationship. Mm-hmm. So now that's so now that's a point for me. Mm-hmm. Where going forward, I'm not gonna like if if I'm dealing with if I'm if I'm with somebody who is is struggling with whatever whatever concern, if we can't have a conversation about what it is and how it's impacting our relationship, that's a no go for me. Mm-hmm. Like it 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 has it has to be you know because I know what it feels like when I'm not having those conversations, and I know how great it feels to be able to have that sort of trust and communication. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored in part by Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. You deserve a life of pleasure, and Dipsy can help you get there in new and sexy ways. Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires with Dipsy. Remember, anything is possible in your fantasies. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women. Dipsy brings scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, and whatever your pleasure, they probably have something for you. They have stories to arouse your senses and also sleep and wellness stories to ground your senses. If you prefer to read rather than listen, they've also got you covered with written sexy stories. I personally use Dipsy when I'm not quite in the mood yet, but I want to be. Some of us need more time to find our desire, and that's okay. Give yourself that time with Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A Dipsy Stories dot com slash s and s dipsystories.com slash s and s and don't let your journey stop there continue your pleasure adventure with our other sponsor afterglow porn by women for everyone afterglow is offering our listeners a seven-day free trial when you enter code xo scholars at xoafterglow.com Afterglow has high-quality ethical porn and also offers a collection of guided exercises, masturbations, and educational content, or eduporn. They even have these awesome self-discovery journeys that facilitate curiosity, exploration, and gaining a better understanding of who you are and what you want. I love how they have something for everyone. There's articles, how-tos, and pleasure-focused films. I personally love the eduporn where they have these how-to videos. They're informative, but also fun, sexy, and super valid 
validating to the human experience. And right now, Afterglow is offering listeners a seven-day free trial when you enter code XOSCHOLARS at XOAfterglow.com. That's X-O-A-F-T-E-R-G-L-O-W-X-O-Afterglow.com and use code X-O-S-C-H-O-L-A-R-S, X-O-Scholars, to get a seven-day free trial. The link is in the episode's description. Now, back to the episode. What do you think has been most helpful for you in, like, respecting your own boundaries and your own truth in that way? I guess what I'm getting at is... I think there are some folks who struggle with a scarcity mindset, right? Of like, oh, what if I don't find somebody else who, or there's lots of great things about this relationship, but I'm hearing that it sounds like you've gotten pretty clear with yourself about like, I know what works for me. I know what doesn't work for me. And of course that's evolving and, and we're learning that all the time, but I wonder what's been helpful for you that when you notice it to trust that that's out there and you can have that and you can find it as opposed to just, um, staying for fear of, what else might not be there? You got to bet on yourself in, in, in that case. And I know that's not mm-hmm. always the easiest thing to do. Oh, yeah. You know, but relationships aren't that hard to, to, to find and get into. You find a place of interest, you talk to somebody and, 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 and you see if they laugh at your jokes, you know, like at least that's how, how it plays for me where, yeah, you know, you're I'm, like, hey, do you like to watch videos five minutes apart and get stoned? <laughs> There's somebody <laughs> out there who's into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like somebody, somebody wants to pick, like, somebody wants to pick up what you're laying down. And it sometimes feels like that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But like, when you look at the world, there are people of all walks of life all body shapes, all looks, all heights, all gender identities in loving relationships. They can't all be better than you, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, this makes me definitely want to talk about and kind of center your book, um, Love's Not Colorblind, because you you talk a lot about um, race-based discrimination in non-monogamous spaces. And so as you're talking about kind of trusting that there are folks for you, I also kind of want to talk about this shadow side of like times where you've seen that you're not finding your people. Um, What are some ways that you're seeing ongoing race-based discrimination in the non-monogamous space? And has this changed since you got into this space in 2002? Now I can only speak for, I can only speak for my own local area. And what I'll start by saying is it's definitely changed um, in, in, in this area where when I started, when I started a sort of my non-monogamous journey, I live in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. I was going to events and finding myself as like one of very few people of color at these events. Sometimes I'd yeah. be like the one black guy, and yeah. sometimes there'd be a second black guy who was also named Kevin, and like you know, I'd be sitting around waiting for him to come to to, to show mm-hmm. up to events and stuff. Um, and now like. I, I used to crack a joke um, at events. Like if I was speaking in Los Angeles, I'd be like, hey, if Philadelphia has any polyamory events, they're all white because I'm here in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, I can't say that anymore because like the, the organizers of local communities now are, are, are black and the, and the people who, who show up are, are people of color. So just, just sort of opening that door and sort of shining a light on, on, um, on how these communities can be. Mm-hmm. was was helpful you know because a lot of times a lot of the times the things that make 
these communities unwelcoming for people of color. The people who are organizing these stuff, these these um these events, these you know yeah. who are managing these communities, yeah. a lot of times they don't realize what they're doing. A lot of times they don't yeah. realize that they're being unwelcoming. You know, mm. like I've been in more than enough case. I've been in more than enough situations where somebody thought that like you know bringing up bbc big black cock was a way to get me in bed or a way to engage me in conversation and like Mm. pretty slutty guy you don't have to put in a ton of effort to get me into bed but objectifying me in a racially based way that ain't it and the, the in the in the instances where that has occurred those folks thought they were being welcoming when really they were dehumanizing me Mm-hmm. And, and and as a result, like just putting out love's not colorblind and having conversations, like having honest conversations about what othering looks like, what yeah. what fetishization looks like, you know, what what white supremacist structures look like in in America, mm-hmm. and also how that trickles down into polyamory communities. Like just being able to have honest conversations about that changed a lot of people's perspective, and and I'm and I'm glad for that. You know, it's um. In two weeks, it'll be a, the five-year anniversary of Love's Not Colorblind. I really should have done something with this. With this We're doing it now. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, like, yeah, it's just doing, just doing, just putting out the book and having conversations all around the country has, I can say honestly that I've seen the impact here in my local area. I've heard other people tell me about the impact that is created in their local areas, and I, I couldn't be more proud of it. I imagine I'd love to hear about your experience with this. And of course, this is just your experience. Um, and there's so many others, but I wonder, it must be tough because if you're in that situation, right, and you're feeling othered in a space and you might be the only one who can speak up and say something. And at the same time, I imagine that puts a lot of onus on you to do the free labor to yeah. educate the white people in the space of like, hey, you need to do better. And so I wonder what that's been like for you to both speak up and advocate for this while also um, knowing how much energy you want to put out to teach other people. I mean, thankfully, it's not something I have to do as often now. But like when I was when I was younger and earlier in my polyamorous journey, I was that guy for that. Like I was always mm-hmm. going to speak up. I was always going to point things out. I was always going to be a little bit of a firebrand yeah. about uh, about the situation because my whole take when it comes to to like to to race to racial comfort mm-hmm. is if somebody if somebody throws out a microaggression and makes me feel uncomfortable, I'm going to ask them a bunch of like really innocuous questions to make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, why don't you explain that joke? Why is that funny? Tell me mm-hmm. more. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what are you implying here? Yeah, like, if which on, which takes a certain level of self confidence to be able to say. Yeah, and like I'm I'm I don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable, but at the same yeah. time, like I'm gonna rock the boat, but I'm gonna stay on the boat because I still want to engage in non monogamy. I still want to be part of parts of these communities. I still want to be able to like um to like learn and communicate and find resources and fellowship and date the way that I want to date. Yeah, and. If that means I've got to make some 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 crappy people uncomfortable, I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm glad you're here for it. I understand for maybe some people, maybe some people do and are comfortable with being fetishized in the BBC type of way or the bull type of way. Um, for you personally, how would you prefer for yourself individually someone to address 
race without being like othering in a way that feels gross right to like name it and talk about it but in a way that feels good for you i mean it depends on the topic but for the most part i'd rather they just not i'd rather they just Mm. let me bring it up if it's if it's if it's applicable to the situation Uh let me bring it up you know Yeah. Um, there's, there's something I brought up in Love's Not Colorblind. Um, mm-hmm. a young woman, a young woman runs into me, like I'm wearing a, a Mass Effect sweatshirt because I'm a Mass Effect fan. It's a video game series that I love. Mm-hmm. I've got the tattoo. My background, my background here is Mass Effect stuff. Um, but she saw my Mass Effect hoodie and like we got into talking about, um, Mass Effect and its sister game, Dragon Age, whereas Mass Effect is space marines shooting aliens in the face. It's sci-fi. Dragon Age is more high fantasy, elves and dwarves and shit. Okay. Uh, and at some point during the conversation, she brought up how much she liked the, the most recent Dragon Age's games inclusion of this character, Krem. Krem, Krem being a trans guy, you mm-hmm. know? And it was pretty well done representation for, for, for trans characters, especially in like a high level game of the year quality game. Mm-hmm. And like the woman I was with, she was a trans woman. She brought up how she liked that level of trans representation. We talked about it for a little bit, you know, and, and that was it. Like mm-hmm. being trans became relevant to our geeky conversation yeah. just long enough for her to bring it up. Tell me how she felt about it. We chopped it up for a little bit. And then we moved on to other topics. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I would have learned less about her experiences or her, her take on representation if I started asking a bunch of intrusive questions, you know? Yeah. Instead, I was busy learning about what we had in common as opposed to what we had set different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I want folks to to read your book, but do you have any advice for folks listening who are folks of color who are interested in exploring non-monogamy maybe for the first time anything that you like wish you would have known um read the room read the room like uh we have so many high-minded ideas when we come to non uh, to, to non-monogamous spaces and this isn't exclusive to people of color but like yeah. so many of us have these ideas like okay well i want my relationship to look like this i want to date this person this person and this person or mm-hmm. or this type of of these types of people you know yeah. and then we actual humans and all that shit goes out the window Mm -hmm. uh one of my all-time favorite quotes is mike tyson said everyone has a game plan until you get punched in the mouth and that's (laughs) sort of that's sort of what happens when you enter in the polyamorous spaces you you know what structure you want you know what kind of relationship types you want and then you meet somebody that throws that for a loop and you gotta and then you gotta pivot you gotta pivot Mm -hmm. hard Mm-hmm. So what I always tell people is read the room, understand, like, understand what a lot of the mistakes are and be prepared to change your plans. Um, mm. If you're trying to find, if you're, if you're if a person of color and you're trying to like find non-monogamous spaces, start online, start online, find, start online and then find out where your people are in your local area, particularly in cities. A lot of, a lot of places have like black and poly, um, uh, groups in in their local city a lot of them just have them online in general yeah but find your spot read the room learn listen more than you talk and then hope that you don't make the same rookie mistakes that everyone else is making mm. or do or do and learn and learn from it <laughs> yeah be bold make new mistakes yeah i as i said i kind of talk 
on some past episodes about like uh, common pitfalls for starting to open up. But as a seasoned poly person, I'd love to hear about some pitfalls that you see for folks who have been in the poly world for a poly world for a while, or like basically making sure that people don't get so comfortable with like, I got it, that they're not kind of looking at their own structures. Um, Any things that you've seen be like common issues for longtime non-monogamous folks, things that you've had to check yourself on for, for more seasoned polyamorous people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you said, sometimes you feel like you got it when, when you, when you don't. I know that I've definitely made the mistake of like assuming what my partners would like instead of asking them the question, Mm -hmm. I just assumed that I knew the answer. And in some cases I was right. And in some cases I was wrong, but like you got to ask the question because if you don't, then, you know, then you have, then you have a, then you have a conflict. Right. Um, I, I, I can never stress communication enough. Just spending intentional time to get on the same page with your people. It's, it's such a valuable thing. Um, even if you're asking the same questions over and over and over, as long as people aren't annoyed by you, like I'm, I'm in a triad with a pair of uh, non-binary partners and we do so much, we do like a ridiculous amount of checking in. Yeah. I think we all non-monogamous people joke that they spend more time talking than fucking. That's for sure. yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, like even 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 be checking about the fucking like there are times where it's like this sex is really good i hope this person doesn't think that i'm only here for sex and now we have to have a check-in about that Mm. so like just being able just having 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 important conversations having hard conversations especially about topics that you're uncomfortable with like getting getting on the same page without being defensive or accusatory boy that that carries so much weight, like an an immeasurable amount of weight. What's been helpful for you for not being defensive or working on your own communication? Do you think you were coming into it good at this? Like what are some keys that have helped you practice and get better? Um, I've got two, I've got two mantras. One is um, this isn't about me. And like, whenever, whenever, like if, if a partner is doing something, and I feel some sort of way about it. Like if, you know, if somebody's dating somebody that makes me uncomfortable or if they're, you know, if they're out doing something that makes me feel away, like my first thought is this isn't about me. They're not doing this in order to make me feel uncomfortable. They're doing this because they feel like they're out there living their best life. How much of this do I need to actually care about? How much of this is just me being in my own feelings about something? I mean, I think you're talking about forming compersion, right? How to come from a place of, of love and support versus a place of control. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other, the other mantra I have is as difficult as this is for me to hear it, I'm sure it's more difficult for them to have to say. Mm-hmm. And like, if a partner is bringing me a concern if they're like, Hey, Kev, I've got a problem with this thing that you did, this thing that you said, this thing that's happening in our relationship. They've probably been sitting on that in a while, for a while. They've probably been sitting on it for some amount of time. They've probably been trying to formulate a way to have the conversation with me in a way that like, that doesn't make me feel like, you know, inadequate or upset or something like that. So I've got to, I've got to do them the courtesy of listening without getting defensive. You know, I've got to give them that courtesy of like, of, of hearing them out understanding that they're probably having a hard time even bringing it to my attention and like, let me not pay back their, their efforts 
with like a shitty response, you know? Like but that requires a lot of practice with empathy and self-regulation because that's hard to do. It does. And and it's 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 a mu- it's a muscle. Like it's something I'm good at now, but it wasn't something I was good at 15, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I started when I started my non-monogamous journey, you know? Yeah. Like right now, like if a partner says like, Hey, Kev, I got, I've got this problem. I'm going to hear them out. I'm going to validate their feelings. Maybe I, maybe I agree and we can work on a solution. Maybe I disagree and we can still work on a solution, but I'm going to at least hear them out and not make them feel shitty for having come and, you know, having, for having brought me a concern. Like it's a muscle. You got to flex it and get, and, and, and get strong with it because. It doesn't work. These relationships don't work as well. If every time a concern is brought to you, you're like, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't do that. That's not my fault. You know, why are you being, you know, why are you being this way as opposed to like, let's, let's, let's explain why you feel the way that you feel and, and let's find a middle ground that works for the both of us. Yeah, to validate the impact doesn't necessarily mean you're admitting that someone's villain or or whatever, or someone's yeah. right or wrong, but validating how it impacted, how it landed on somebody can be so powerful. Exactly, exactly. Like, it doesn't have to be heroes and villains. And we we damage our relationship. And this is coming from the sci-fi nerd. Does not have to be heroes and villains, yeah. okay? <laughs> Says the guy in the Spider-Man shirt. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to connect people with the resource that resources that you have out there. So tell us a little bit about that course you've got with Dr. Liz Powell, who's awesome, and what you're kind of excited about these days and how people can um, follow what you're doing and get in touch. Um, yeah. Um, so Dr. Liz and I, we um, back when the pandemic first started, and like we, it was something we started before the pandemic, but the pandemic gave us sort of a really good a really good platform for it is uh we've got a class we've got a, a, a class series called unfuck your polyamory it's a six uh a six class series it's online right now um we did a good job of hosting it as like a live class mm-hmm. and then immediately we recorded we recorded uh the class a second times for for uh online availability if you go to unfuckyourpolyamory.com it's available as uh pay what you can Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. like the, 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 the recommended, co- the recommended cost is like 300, but like, if you've got 50 bucks, if you've got a hundred bucks and, and that's all you have, you got a class that's and cool. you can watch them as much, as much as you can. It, it's, it's six classes. I think they're each like an hour, hour and a half. It's been a while uh, since I looked at it, but uh, Dr. Liz, we're always looking to, to, to put more, uh, put more work together. We're looking to um, speak together at conferences. Uh, we haven't heard back yet from Sex Down South, but who knows? We might end up being at Sex Down South. That would be awesome. Yes, that would be great. And for folks who don't know, it's an awesome group of sex educators um, put together um, by a past guest uh, on the show as well. So um, check it out if you're a sex nerd and want to learn more about sexuality, Sex Down South. Word, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, Elena and I are currently working on the fourth uh, for hire book. We've got three books out. They're queer polyamorous superhero novels. Uh, mm. it, it's all prose, but like we created a universe that we're that we're both really proud of and like really enjoy spending time 
writing and actually reading. Like, I don't always like the work that I do, but I love the for hire books. Like, love's not. I get that love's not colorblind is like my important book that everyone loves and everyone talks about. But like, but fantasy and stuff hire- is just as important as yeah, some of the real yeah. prose, right? You know. Some, sometimes you want to. Sometimes you want queer polyamorous superhero books. You know that that. Oh that yeah, my my that, listeners know that I love aliens. So any any aliens you got in there, send them my way. <laughs> word, exactly. Sometimes you <laughs> sometimes you want something that's uh that's not going to tax you tax you so hard. Mm-hmm. So um, we're working on the fourth book. The first three books are are out and available. The audio books for the first two are available, and the third audio book should be coming out soon. Um, that's uh for higher supercell. That's the third book in our series. Cool. Congrats. And, um, yeah. And so, like, Elena and I are working on that and a few other projects. But, like, you can keep up with me. I'm on um, KevinAPatterson.com. Uh, I'm Holly Role Models on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm pretty easy to reach out to. Oh, are you a fan of The Last of Us? I am. I've platinum the first. I've platinum both games. I just finished watching the series. I'm considering replaying the series. Mm-hmm. But it's such a dark universe to spend time in. It's, it's so dark. It's yeah. I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship with it. Every time I watch it, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. stop. It's so. But I really, yeah, I don't want to give it away for folks. But it's uh, I I need to decide about whatever the boundaries with me in this show. Like it's something I realize. Like if if uh, like a lot, there are video games where I can call out from work, give myself a three or a four day weekend, and then binge a video game over the course of a weekend with the last of us the first time playing either game i couldn't play for more than about an hour at a time before i had to like go outside touch grass oh eat, a, eat a snow cone make love to somebody like yeah, feel better like about trauma. my life yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of people are feeling that way oh man i haven't watched the last one so don't don't tell me it's it's a lot i know i'm um, not to plan for some aftercare after that that's for yeah sure. There are going to be some conversations for you to have. Oh, God. Uh, well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining. Um, you kind of already shouted out where folks can find you. But again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. Uh, you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review. It is always helpful. And check out those advertiser discounts. Um, Kevin, thanks so much for joining. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.